Psalm 63 is where we are. And you're there, and I'm there, and let's read. Let's read it together. It says, Oh God, you are my God. It's the Psalm of David. He was in the wilderness. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you and with joyous lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped." For the mouths of liars will be stopped. My, uh, my five-year-old yesterday, I was out working in my yard. I think it's probably the low ends on this microphone that's giving you trouble. If you want to turn the lows down, that's better. That way I don't sound like I'm in a barrel, right? So I was out working in my yard yesterday, and it's been hot, right? I don't know what Skylar Turner's talking about. It's hot, all right? It's, yeah, we... <laughs> We might get a little bit of break from the clouds and a little bit of break being like it's not 97 degrees, it's 94 degrees. That's our little bit of break right now. But it's hot, right? It was hot. So I, got, I woke up first thing and I'm like, I got to get outside and get to work on some stuff before it gets too hot because this is miserable. And so I was out working and I, got, I was getting real hot. And about that, you know, about, I've been at it for an hour or so. And then Spurgeon woke up and he comes toddling outside. You know, hey, what are you doing, Dad? And he starts to watch me and all that. And he, he, as I'm working, I'm sweating like crazy. And he says, man, you're, you're kind of hot. You're sweaty, Dad. And I said, yeah, I'm hot and sweaty. He said, why don't I go inside and get you a cold drink? And I said, buddy, that sounds amazing. Sounds fantastic. Why don't you go do that for me? That'd be great. So, you know, I'd like to finish the story by telling you that, you know, five minutes later, Spurgeon came out with an ice-cold glass of water. But about a half an hour later, I was still really hot and, and tired and even more thirsty, and so I went inside, and I was like, man, I gotta, I'm going to have to do this myself, so I go inside, stop what I'm doing in my, my work, and I go inside, and, and uh, I, I was Spurgeon's, as soon as Spurgeon saw me, he got that look on his face like, oh, yeah, I forgot, I forgot all about that, and being five years old, he went inside and uh, saw that his sisters were up and watching a cartoon, and that seemed like a whole lot better thing to do than get dad a, uh, a drink of water, so I had to seek out my own drink of water, and uh, it was good. It was good. It was refreshing. And that's it's along the lines of what we were talking about, what David is talking about in this psalm. He's talking about being refreshed. He is, he is giving us a window into his relationship with God, and it's deep and, and beautiful. And it's something that we can all relate with because we've all been thirsty at one time or another. And we all are very, very tuned to our physical appetites, Right? 
we're all very attuned to when it's lunchtime, right? If, if I go too long today at about 11.45-ish, there's several of you I know, like you're my indicators in the, in the congregation to know it's about time because your belly's growling and I know it and uh, I'm losing you because your appetite is flaring up. Um, so we're very, very attuned to our physical appetites. And so David does something just genius here. He helps us understand his relationship with God and really a right relationship with God in terms of thirst and, and hunger and fulfillment, things that we all have great experience with. Context for the psalm. King David um, is on the run again. Okay, King David it seems like a lot of his life is on the run, but this is him on the run after a long period of time of not being on the run. He is um, established as king. He's been at it for a while. To give you some idea, we're in 2 Samuel like 16 and 17-ish, right? So Bathsheba's happened. Everything, David's getting up in his years. He's got adult children that are grown and serving as generals and princes and so forth in the kingdom of Israel. And then the oldest one learns, and because all along David has told people that his heir is going to be Solomon. He wants Solomon to take his place, and that doesn't sit so well with Absalom, who is his oldest son. He feels like he should be king. And so Absalom goes about the business of kind of politicking, it says. He, he would go and stand at the gate as people came and went, and he would, he would ham it up with them and talk to them and, and sit and, and uh, solve their controversies and judge them and talk with them and teach them and Absalom became everyone's man. And all this occurred kind of right underneath David's nose. Well, it occurred right underneath David's nose because the one who was supposed to be doing that was David, but he was all tied up with the mess he created with Bathsheba and so forth. So you got Absalom and he's doing his thing. And so basically he finally gets enough clout, enough power, and some of these men come to him and say, hey, it, we think it's time. You could probably have a coup and, and kick your dad out and then you could be king and and then you can kill Solomon and all the rest of the people that are also going for the throne, and it's all yours. And they were right, because he was able to actually depose David enough that David had to flee Jerusalem, okay, with all of his entourage and followers. And, uh, and so this is during the period when David had to flee Jerusalem. He is in a wilderness. He's literally in the wilderness, but he's also, this is his, this is his boy, this is his son that's doing this to him. So if you can imagine, just betrayal, absolute betrayal from your firstborn, absolute undermining. This, this little boy that you raised from and, and diapered his butt and wiped his nose, and so to speak, and taught him everything he knows and loved him, and he's flipped on you, and he's after your neck. He's ready to kill you, and depose you, take everything that you have. So David is distraught. He's distraught. And the first words out of David's mouth are these. Oh God, you are my God. Oh God, you are my God. This is a pregnant sentence. So there's kind of four parts to this psalm I want to break it up. And we're going to focus on that phrase, oh God, you are my God. Then David talks about being thirsty. Then David talks about feasting. And then we're going to wrap up by kind of comparing thirsting and feasting and how David talks about those things. Okay, so four parts. This is the first part. Oh, God, you are my God. Oh, God, you are my God. This is a pregnant sentence 
coming from King David. We're talking about David, a man who's experienced God at highs and a man who has experienced God at lows. He has been a shepherd boy and a king. He slept outside under the stars and in the most magnificent palace you could understand or see or conceive of. He fought battle after battle with Lion, with Goliath, with the Philistines and become victorious. He is the man after God's own heart. God is his God. And the rest of what he's about to say in the psalm rests on the foundation of this opening line when he's declaring that God is his God. He's telling God, God, you are mine and I am yours. This is an intense amount of familiarity between David, King David, and Yahweh. This is not the seeking, the crying out of a man who has no context, no understanding, no relationship with God. This isn't a seeker psalm. This is a well-versed, well-battered, well-experienced Christian, well, a man after God's own heart who has been beat around, and yet again he finds himself in a place that's not so desirable, and the first words out of his mouth he's declaring and reaffirming the covenant that he has with God. It harkens back to like Genesis 17, Verse 7, when God tells Abraham, because David is the continuing on, he is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 17. It says, I will establish my covenant between me and you, this is God speaking to Abraham, and your descendants after you throughout all generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will be your God, and what does he say? And you shall be my people. I will be your God and you shall be my people. And David is remembering this and he says, even when things are really bad, oh God, you are my God. When he thirsts, he will seek to to fulfill, to sate his thirst on God and not anything else. And he means also that when God is abundant to him, when God is, is ever present with him and fills him up, then he will look no other place. He will rejoice in what he has been filled up with. He will feast on God. He will, when he is famished, he will thirst for God. And when he is feasting, he will feast upon God. Oh God, you are my God. And so my question for you this morning is, are you like David? Are you like David in this way? When you are driven into a wilderness by tragic or painful circumstances, and when you are gasping for air in the quicksand of your own emotions, do you cry out, oh God, you are my God? With confidence in the covenant that exists between you and God. Do you have a covenant relationship with God this morning? Every person who calls themselves God's Every Christian, every Christ one who calls themselves a part of God's people must have a moment of line in the sand, the world behind me, the cross before me. God is my God. I am yours and you are mine. And my question for you this morning, and it's, it's important and I'm going to belabor it because if you don't have that, if you haven't made a decisive covenant commitment To God, the rest of this psalm will just have to wait because it won't really make much sense to you. Worship follows covenant. 
One must be in covenant relationship with God himself before you see the value and the beauty and the glory of him and then worship him appropriately. Have you ever met Jesus Christ standing in your way, having tracked you down like the song we just sang is, all I have is Christ. I once was lost as I ran my hellbound race. He came to me. Has, has this happened to you? Has Jesus tracked you down in your rebellion and your sin? And in his hands, a declaration of pardon from God, signed with his own blood, blood of the covenant that will exist between you and him. And have you ever looked into Jesus' face in prayer and heard him say, the king will pardon your sins. The king will pardon your sins and forgive your rebellion and welcome you into the kingdom if you will kneel and swear by faith and loyalty to me forever. Have you knelt before the king and declared, oh God, you are my God? This is the foundation of our worship. The alternative is covered at the end of this song. So we're going to go there and then kind of back our way back up the rest of it. So here's the choices for us as humanity. God is king. He is glorious. We are sinful. This is just the gospel, right? This is the good news. We deserve a sinner's hell. Look at the end of Psalm 63, verses 9, 10, and 11, okay? Times we talk about uh, a lot about seeing Jesus in the Old Testament and how David was like a type of Christ, and the Psalms take on a prophetic bend the words of the songs take on a prophetic bend when we know that who Jesus is and what he was coming to do. So listen to these words in light of as if Jesus is saying them, not David. It says this, But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God, the king being Jesus. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Do you know what Romans chapter 1 calls all of us? Liars. Liars. Because we suppress the truth in our sinful state. The truth is this. God is sovereign king over all the universe. And when you sin, it's the same as if looking at God in his face and saying, nuh-uh. No, you're not. I'm sovereign over me, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's rebellion. That's sin. And the end of the psalm tells us what the alternative is to the crying out. It's either God, you are my God, or God, you are not my God. I am my God. And this is the destiny for those who find themselves in that way. Portion for jackals down into the depths, lost. So I ask you this morning, I ask you this morning, is God your God? Is he your God? Is he your portion? Have you cried out to him? Have you, do you have a declared moment in time where you said, I will go no further in my own way? It's your way and no other. And once that foundation is established like it is for King David, what appears in this psalm is that God is worshipped and savored in two ways. 
Verses 1 through 4, like I said, describes the savoring of God through thirsting for him. And verses 5 through 9 describe the savoring of God through feasting with him. So in other words, verses 1 through 4 is the vision of God, the, the vision of worship when God is not clear and present and satisfying. And so David is fainting. But in verses 5 through 9, the vision of God is present and rich, and David eats his fill with satisfaction. Fainting is the form of worship when God is distant. Feasting is the form of worship when God is near. The heart that savors God above all things will experiencing this, these two phenomenons over the course of a lifetime, yearning and longing when he's not near, and, and panting and thirsting, and then celebrating and feasting when God is nearby. So let's go first thirsting. I call it thirst worshiping, okay? Because that's what's really going on here is it's thirsty worshiping. What's he say? He says, earnestly I seek you. Oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. All of that, all of that, especially three and four. We're going to look at two, three, and four here in a second. All of that is all while David cannot feel God. Look at verse two. He says, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty, through verse 1. I don't need to belabor that anymore. I'm thirsty. And then in verse 2, so I have, this is the past tense, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. Remember, he's deposed. He's out of Jerusalem. The sanctuary is behind him. He can't go back to where he was used to worshiping and how he was used to worshiping. And so he's remembering back to those moments when God is just so real, he can touch him, he can feel him, he can feast upon him. He pulls from his memory bank a time when he's in, this, when he's in that drought phase. He pulls from a memory bank a time when he was able to engage in intimate and full worship. We like to go, I like to go, and actually I'm going to go tomorrow and do worship services at the Ford home in New Harmony. And it's, it's a great joy to me. It's, it's, it's people say, that's, that's just a great ministry you do. I don't really get to, I, do, I go because I get ministered to when I go to the Ford home rather than doing ministry a lot of times. But nevertheless, Brother Larry, Brother Larry back there in the back, he likes to come along with me sometimes. And there was one day in particular, Brother Larry said something to me as we're walking out of the Ford home, we're in the parking lot. He said these, these words to me. He shared with me, to keep track of God's faithfulness to you because one of these days you're going to hit a wilderness. And it may be a long time in between those drinks of God. And you're going to need to remember the good time. You're going to need to have recorded and have seared in your memory like David, Psalm 63, verse 2, I have looked upon you in your sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. I know exactly who you are because I have seared in my brain and I remember that you were faithful to me the last time I was going without a drink. 
the last time it was in a wilderness. I went so far and I thought, I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to make it. And then, then the bedrock of, oh God, you are my God, rose up through the quicksand of my emotions and I found my footing because God is my God and he was there for me then. And I know because of that he will be there for me this time. Great advice. Great advice. So I've started, this might be, be an application point for you this morning. Maybe it's time for you to get a little journal. Call it your thirst journal or your feast journal or whatever you want to call it. And just whenever you observe the faithfulness of God to you, time, date, write down what it was. So that you, like David, can say, when you, when you hit the wilderness and you're thirsty, I remember God is my God, and he will be there for me. Verses three, four. Because of your steadfast love is better than life. He's still thirsty. Because, God, your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Even though I'm not feeling it right now, your love is better than life. It's better than being satisfied on anything else. So I'm going to hold out. It's almost like David's giving himself a pep talk in verse 3. Because your love, I'm so thirsty, God, but because your love is better than life. And when he says life, he means anything about this life. Because your love is better than being king, God. Because your love is, sidebar, Absalom, they had to kind of, be strategic about what their next move was because they were able to depose David out of the city. But then Absalom's advisors came to him and said, bro, you don't want to meet. Like, like, have you ever read about what your dad and his 300 homeboys used to do to people? You don't want to meet those guys. We got to think this through, Absalom. We can't just go chasing after them because of that dude. Remember that guy who was lying in the pit on a snowy day? They did some crazy stuff and you don't want to fight them. I mean, David could have turned right back around. And there was, a, there was this jerk that followed along. He was loyal to Absalom. Follow along and spit at David and threw rocks at David and cursed David and said, oh, look at you, big David now. Look at you. And David's, one of David's men came over and said, hey, let me take care of that guy for you. And David said, no, no, maybe he's right. Maybe he's right. Maybe this is what I deserve. He's saying, your love is better than life. I'm just going to wait on you. I'm not going to go get my justice. I'm not going to go and try to solve this by the power of my own hand. This really stinks, God. But your love, your justice, your mercy, your covenant with me is better than any revenge or any, any wealth or any, any, anything I can imagine, God. So I'm just going to wait for you to come and take care of this for me. So I will bless you. My lips, he, he praised God even though it was bad. He, his, I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands to you. I'm going to keep 
praising you with my lips. I'm going to keep lifting my hands in worship to you even when it's painful or hard or just kind of blah. Just kind of blah in your spiritual season. And these seasons are just as important in God's plans for you. Listen, this is a very important sentence. These seasons are just as important in God's plan for you as are the times of spiritual abundance. And they are just as much worship of God when you are striving after Jesus and don't feel him than those times when the Spirit washes over you in abundance and you feast and feast and feast and feast. This is why this section is called thirst worshiping. Worship in this time is as important and valuable and glorifying to God as it is when all you can feel is the presence of God in your worship. Maybe even more important. Maybe even more important. And I want to address something this morning that I think is a problem for American Christians. It's certainly been a problem for me. We live in such affluence. We have insulated ourselves from a lot of wilderness, a lot of suffering, in this life. Very rarely do our appetites go unsatisfied. It's wise for the Christian to make a habit of keeping check on his appetites for this world. Don't mistake thirsting after Jesus for the spiritual blahs. Thirsting is pursuing Jesus like David is in verse 1. I seek after you earnestly. Thirsting is seeking with zeal and sincerity and not necessarily finding him right away or finding satisfaction. Blahs In thirst terms, or I just drank a six-pack of Diet Coke, so I I guess I better drink a cup of water now. Hear me. Hear the metaphor. If you don't have a thirst for Jesus, it could very well be that you feel satisfied in what the world has to offer you. And this is dangerous to our faith. a little bit of strategic paring back of our worldly appetites in order to let our spiritual appetites shine through may just be what the doctor ordered for you. This is called fasting. Fasting. When your appetites are greater, when you find your appetites are greater for desires other than the Lord, then you need to be ready to lay down those appetites for a period of time to seek out and sharpen your appetite for him. When all of our immediate appetites go fulfilled, it is easy to lose sight of our greatest need because we see through the glass dimly and are affected so greatly by our sin. We are much more acutely aware of physical appetites than we are of our need for God. Amen? I know I am. I have to force myself to pray at times, force myself to talk to the Creator of all the universe, lover of my soul, but I guarantee you I don't have to force myself to think about lunch at 11 o'clock. I'm way more acutely aware of my physical needs than I am of my spiritual needs. We are quite good at self-deception when it comes to spiritual things. I love that this psalm parallels David's soul needs with his physical needs. It puts it in terms that all of us feel very acutely. This is what the discipline of fasting does for us. It puts our soul needs in terms of our physical needs. I've had people say to me, I don't want to fast because I get hungry. And I'm like, that's the point, bro. 
you know? Like, because when you get hungry, when you fast, you are supposed to get hungry, and then that hunger is supposed to help you remember in your brain, oh yeah, I'm hungry for Christ. And you praise God, thank you, you gave me this great physical reminder. I have to keep going back to the table over and over and over again. Some of us, too many times over and over and over again to be satisfied. And it's a metaphor. It's a beautiful, beautiful, God didn't have to make us to have to eat. He could have made us some other way. But he made us in this way so that we would be reminded as his creation that we can't be sustained without him. You can't live. Your soul will die without him. Don't mistake being thirsty for Jesus with the blahs. Test this for me. Some of us just experience blahs, and I've, I've, I've experienced blahs, spiritual blahs. Everybody does, one point or another. But when you're experiencing those blahs, you have to make a determination. Am I, am I just in a thirsty place because I, I need to seek out the Lord, or I am seeking out the Lord and I'm thirsty for it? Or am I in a blah spiritual place because I've just gotten so used to filling up with everything else that I forgot that I'm even thirsty for Jesus in the first place? You know what I mean? Put down the spiritual Diet Coke, so to speak, the, the alternative, and drink of the pure water of Jesus. No offense, I like Diet Coke, but it's not nearly as good for you as Jesus. Can't live on Diet Coke. Some of you think you can. You can't. Maybe it's time for a fast. I don't know. I don't know you personally. I don't know where you're at. The next phase, so thirsting, seeking, praising, even through the difficult times, and then the fun part, and the part we all want to be in. We all want to get here. Feasting. Listen to what his feasting fellow, his feasting worship is like. Verse 5, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. The Hebrews love fat. We don't like fat in our culture as much. Like, I like fat too. I'm with you, man. They loved fat. They loved, you see in the Bible about fat portions and because mainly their animals were so lean. We're used to animals that have lots of fat on them. Their animals were so lean that that was a, that was a gourmet piece. They usually save that for God. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, he says. This is what he's talking about when he is, when he is feasting on the Lord. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. I'll just celebrate I'll celebrate God when I'm with you. And I will remember you upon my bed and meditate upon you in the watches of the night. This is the seasons you get into. And you, you can rarely think of anything else. But God, you just, you, you, your fellowship is so sweet. You wake up thinking about him. You go to bed thinking about him. He wakes you up in the night. Look at that. In the shadow of your wings, verse 7. And then meditate on you in the watches of the night. Excuse me, verse 6. Meditate on you in the watches of the night. He, he's staying up late to read his Bible. He's, he's waking up early to be with God. He can't get enough with him in this season of spiritual feasting. For you have been my help. You are my help. 
And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Doesn't this sound beautiful? Doesn't this just sound wonderful? And I know we've all experienced it. Just take a minute. Just take a second with me. And remember back to when your walk with Jesus, if you've had, if you have a walk with Jesus, and maybe it was when you were first saved. Maybe it was when you were baptized. Maybe it was, maybe you just hit a revival period and it was just, you just lived in ecstasy with Jesus. You just lived like you just, like every breath was another breath of Christ. Right? Just take a, remember that? Man, that was so good. Maybe it was 15 minutes. Might have been for 15 minutes or maybe it was 15 years. We know not why the Spirit stirs when he does. It is for God to accomplish his purposes in you. But don't make the mistake of thinking, this is very important, don't make the mistake of thinking that these are the seasons of what it's, quote, supposed to be like for real Christians, end quote. Nobody lives there forever. Nobody goes up to the mountaintop and stays there forever. God is your God when you are thirsty. And God is your God when you are feasting. And they both bring him glory. When you struggle on your own, hear me, when you are thirsty for God, don't miss the Sunday morning buffet. Don't miss this time that we've set aside to dedicate to meditating on the love and grace and mercy and peace of God. Don't miss the Sunday buffet when you're thirsty for God. When you're here, take five plates like a 16-year-old boy at Golden Corral. Come and feast. Come and be a part. Come and listen, everything about our gatherings is designed to help you see the goodness and love of God for you. Sing the songs. I don't care if you can sing well. Sing the songs. Pray the prayers. Read the scriptures. Greet your brother. Glean from the labors of the preacher. Stay to fellowship. Feast. 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 We, this is a perfect time to say, we're about to... Change up the, the genre of food, so to speak. We're going to 2 Corinthians when Pastor Matt gets back from his travels. For five bucks, you can get a journal back there with 2 Corinthians, the text of it laid out in the ESV, and blank pages so you can take notes as we walk through that text, that whole book together. Feast. That's like setting the table, getting ready, getting ready to lean in, getting ready to listen to what it is that God, I have attention problems, okay? Like, I, you, might, you might notice this about me. You'd think the guy who's like the, the closest one to the preaching, the next closest one to the preaching of the church would be like tuned in, ready to roll, right when we start to do it. I have, if you don't know me, maybe you, you probably, it's not that hard to notice that I'm not, I'm kind of fidgety, right? So I... I, I do my best. I've found that I have to, I have to train myself to, to just try to take a transcript, just to, just to hone in, just so that my mind doesn't wander and go off some other place, and that I can hone in and meditate on the fact that God loves me so much that he has saved me and put me in community and give me a faithful preacher to listen to, and I just get to eat and feast at his feet. Otherwise, if I come here and I don't partake of what's going on, it's like going to a buffet and being starving hungry and being like, nah, I'll just hold out for the next thing. Why would you do that? 
Sing, pray, read, glean, greet, feast, fellowship. Because his love is better than life. And finally, I want to look quickly at the similarities between the fasting and the feasting, the, the thirsting and the feasting. When you notice something about David's thirsting and feasting, when he thirsts, what does he thirst for? What's he say? I thirst for God. When he is satisfied, what is he satisfied in? God, not the things God gives him. Otherwise, he wouldn't have wrote this psalm because remember, he's deposed. He, wouldn't, he wasn't real happy with what the gifts of God were in this moment, right? When he's thirsting, he's thirsty for God. When he's satisfied, he's satisfied for God. There is a gratitude for God, to God for his gifts that has no true worship in it at all. There are people who love their health and family and job and hobbies and thank God often for them, but they don't actually love God. They don't actually savor God. It's not good enough to just be thankful for the things that God has given you. That's not worship. Worship is loving God. David makes this plain by the way he expresses his longings in verse 1 and 3. In verse 1, he says, Oh God, you are my God. I seek thee. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh faints for thee. For you, for you, for you. It's not, he, he's not concerned with what God can give him. David wanted more than he wanted life, the love of God. Your love is better than life, he says. And if you want God more than you love life, then you want God more than you want all the joys of life, family, health, food, friendship, Job satisfaction, productivity, books, computers, music, homes, sunsets, entertainment. When any one of these things starts to go away, you don't like it to go, do you get angry with God? Do you get upset with God? If that's true, then you probably haven't been worshiping God to begin with. You didn't love God for the things, for who God is. You loved him for the things that he can give you, and that's not worship. Oh God, you are my God. If, you, if he is your God, he is your God, then he is worthy of your love and affection. And I wonder why this is why we can't do without all the, the wilderness experiences of life. As Jonas read um, Deuteronomy verse 8, it struck me that God took those people back into the wilderness so that they would know what? that they can't live on what alone, bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And you're like, man, God, why? Why can't I just live on the mountain? Why can't you just, the spirit be rich over me all the time? Why do I even have to go through these wildernesses? And I think the answer is right there plain for us in scripture because we are so quick to be distracted. We're so quick, like Romans 1 says, to worship the creation rather than the creator. We're so quick to be thank so thankful and gracious that God has given us a beautiful family or what have you that we start to love that thing more than we loved him to begin with. So we need the wilderness. We need deprived. We need to be thirsty so that we will remember. We need to be like God's people wandering around the desert, looking forward to the day when we don't hunger or thirst any longer. 
And we as God's people look forward to that day. Hear me on this. If you say, God is my God, I am your man, you are my God, then you have something very much to look forward to, a day when we will thirst for the fullness of his presence. We will not have to thirst any longer. We will live on the mountain, so to speak. We will be able to eat our fill and feast with God forever. Romans, or excuse me, Revelation 21. Look at this. Listen to this passage. When I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, this is Jesus, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for the words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. One day, one day, Brothers and sisters, now this is just for my brothers and sisters. If you have not drawn the line in the sand and declared to God, you are my God, I am your person, I will obey you and seek after you with the fullness of my life because you are better than anything this world has to offer. If you have not done that, this promise is not for you. You might say, that sounds, that's awfully harsh for you, Pastor Kurt. It's not harsh of me, it's harsh of the scriptures. But you can be a part. It's so right there. Feast with us. Join us in our feast. Join us as we seek after life in Jesus and as we look forward to the day where we don't have to strive and and cry and wilderness and dryness and, and then we get a little bit of relief and then we're right back to it again and back and forth and we're tossed around and this life is so difficult. One day it's gonna stop and we just will have Christ. We'll just be able to feast with him forever. Do you look forward to that? Don't you get sick and tired of it? I do. But man, I'll stick with it like King David. I'll keep striving like King David until that final day when he calls me home and I can rest in him forever. Amen? Let's look forward to that day. Let's continue to worship in spirit and truth of that final day when we'll be with Christ together in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, You sustain us. You give us life. Even when it feels like you're not going to come. Even with with King David, Lord, not too many days after this psalm was written, King David was back on his throne in Jerusalem. But his son was dead. All of life, Lord, is bittersweet. Everything we experience, it's tainted by our sin. We feel like we're doing good and then we're not. We feel like we're seeking you and then we're not. We're full of energy and then we're tired. 
But one fact remains, and this fact is true. God, you are my God. And as we pray now, Lord, let that solid foundation rise up beneath our feet. Some of us have lost sight of that fact, and we need to cry out in that way this morning and remember who you are and what you've done for us. Some of us are within my hearing have never, never known that rock, and it's time for them to put their feet on it and stand and follow you. You're our God when we thirst. You're our God when we feast. And we're thankful for that, Lord Jesus. Thankful that you've given us such beautiful promises from your holy word. Your love is better than life, and we love you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.